Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast that gives women in science, technology, engineering and maths or STEM an opportunity to be honest and open about what it's really like working in these typically male-dominated subjects. Each week, one woman shares her stories and experiences. She could be a public figure, the girl next door or someone from a far-off land. The point is she'll be deliberately kept anonymous and disguised to ensure that we're not distracted by the details of her achievements, her labels or what she looks like. I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, also a woman in STEM. I studied mechanical engineering and ended up as a television broadcaster. I've worked on and reported on some cutting-edge technology and innovation over the years, and through my television work, I've met some incredible women from a diverse range of STEM fields. And you know what? I've been more amazed about what I've learned from these women when the cameras have been turned off and they're just being themselves. These women have amazingly impressive CVs, but most importantly, they're human just like the rest of us. And it's that off-air honesty that I'd love to share with you through silence. It's my hope that you really relate to what's shared with you today and you're inspired and supported and comforted as I always am when I chat with my amazing guests. If so, please do subscribe to Silence and maybe even leave some comments and reviews. I'd love to have your feedback. This week, my guest is in the field of solar science. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thank you so much for coming on the show. How did you feel when you first heard that this was anonymous? Um, I'm not used to doing things anonymously. I, I don't mind if people know who I am, but that's that's fine. That's the way you're doing it. So that's fine. Yeah. I mean, the reason why I um, have decided to make it anonymous is because often I think young girls trying to get into STEM feel quite intimidated by the achievements of others, maybe even particularly the achievements of women. Have you ever experienced that? I'm not sure I have. I think that I've as you get a little older, there is a, a sort of generation gap, perhaps, where uh, younger women may be a little bit more afraid of you anyway, because you're that much older. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, people, the press or whatever, media aren't as interested in you because you're that much older as well. So, but I haven't, I don't, I don't think I'm intimidated. I know quite a lot of young people researchers young people and I get on very well with them so I hope that I'm not intimidating (laughs) so what is the ratio in solar science of men to women actually you know it's quite good um I think it's almost 30 percent which is quite high for astronomy as a whole um and I put that down partly to the fact that there have been a lot of female role models and um, we've encouraged each other and supported each other and supported younger females as well. So I think we're quite lucky, really, because I think in the, uh, you know, we, we have quite a few females in the field. So in terms of your own story, then, um, how did you get into solar science? Was this something that you dreamed of doing from an early age? Um, no, I think I was always interested in science and maths and I was particularly good at them at school and uh, my father encouraged me in that regard so I thought it was perfectly normal to do to do science I didn't think there was anything odd about it and I was always interested in um, astronomy I you know I look up at the night sky and think wow 
that's amazing. So it really fascinated me. So I wanted to find out more about it. And then uh, when I got to university, I did some um, dissertation, you know, some work in, in, the, in solar science and I got interested in it. So uh, then I did a PhD in, in solar science and stayed with it. And I still think it's absolutely fascinating. What's fascinating about your field? Oh, well, the sun's amazing. I mean, the sun is, is uh, it's amazing because uh, scientifically it's fascinating. It's very close. We can see a huge amount of detail, uh, which is often very difficult to explain, but it's very beautiful. And also, I think, because you can, the sun is something you can associate from with from a very early age. Mm-hmm. So it's almost a spiritual thing. You know, the sun shines, you feel happy. You know, so you kind of feel a close association with the sun, you know, uh, when it's uh, the sun goes through phases of activity. It's, sometimes it's quiet, sometimes it's active. But, you know, you, you like to keep an eye on it. And, and with the um, solar spacecraft we've got now, you can actually see what the sun's doing on a daily basis, even on a every 12 second basis, if you really want to be obsessed about it. But um, it, it's just fascinating to try and understand what we see on the sun. And what is the sun doing? Because I've never thought about it in terms of it doing something radically different other than (laughs) burning very brightly. Well, uh, we're seeing the sun from space, but the sun is not is not constant at all. It's very it's very dynamic. Um, Even in its quiet phase, it's still quite dynamic. So there's a lot of small explosions going on. Sometimes there's some huge explosions going on. You see these dark features called sunspots on the sun, which indicate a lot of activity. At the moment, there's very few, but but even so, the detail is is interesting. So we we try to understand uh, why these explosions, these solar flares happen. Sometimes material shoots out into space. And sometimes it hits the earth and we get the beautiful aurora, northern mm. lights, you know. So it's it's fascinating. The, the, the sun, obviously, yeah. is hugely, yeah. I mean, you know, we wouldn't be here without it. We wouldn't have life without the sun. It's hugely important to us. But it's also important to understand mm. not just the energy, the light, uh, the warmth, but also how it interacts with us in other ways. Uh, when it shoots out material and affects us. So. Forgive my ignorance, but it kind of feels like the the research that you're doing is a bit like space research in the sense that you're finding out some incredibly interesting and complex things, but um, the knowledge that you're gaining is, um, you can almost filter it it down into something that we can use here on Earth. Yeah, I think that, um it is that the knowledge we're gaining um is is uh pure science in the sense of knowledge for the sake of knowledge how things work but but obviously the more we can understand how the sun works and what's going on in the sun the more we can understand other stars or other astrophysical bodies but also it does have relevance to to things on earth as well to understand that you know pushing pushing technology or understanding other things i in myself have worked with space observations so i've done a lot of work with nasa and the european space agency esa and uh, so so in big collaborative teams working on a lot of different um solar space observation satellites right so is our understanding of the sun able to help us generate maybe renewable energy i mean what what is the direct impact on us the the field of um the the energy in the sun is produced by um 
nuclear energy fusion, nuclear fusion reaction. Uh, we can't exactly reproduce that here on Earth, but people are attempting to produce energy in the same way um, as it's produced in the sun and the stars with some large experiments. Uh, we had one in the UK here, it was international collaboration, but there's one over in France as well called ITER. It's a huge international experiment. So that there is a relationship between uh, what we understand about the sun and that environment uh, and, and the development of these uh, large fusion reactors, which will be safe and pure and clean. You know, they're not like the, the nuclear reactors we have at the moment. But also, of course, uh, there's a huge push at the moment for renewable energies, as you said. So solar, pa uh, solar cells, panels of solar cells, and all sorts of developments in the field of developing uh, materials uh, that are flexible po with polymers that could go, for example, on the wings of an aeroplane so that you could reduce the amount of fuel that that, that aeroplane needed uh, and, in, and in many other ways. So there's a, there's a huge push at the moment. Obviously, we need to find other ways of getting energy, renewable energy, rather than using up all the resources that we have in, in coal and oil and things like that. And also from the point of view of the environment, burning coal and oil uh, produces, um, you know, uh, chemicals that we don't really want to go into the atmosphere and, and uh, carbon in particular causing um, uh, carbon burning cause, causes, uh, you know, atmospheric gases, which then turn out to give us uh, climate change, you know, so we need to find other ways of, um, of producing energy, definitely. It's really amazing the kind of um, spin-off technologies that occur as a result of uh, developing a greater understanding of what's happening on the sun, in the sun. Um, and, you know, we could probably do an entire episode just on those technologies. Thank you, Kate. Um <laughs> Indeed, particularly most recently with the launch of... Um, Parker Solar Probe in, in August, um, that, that really requires uh, tech, great uh, tech development of new materials that uh, can shield the uh, satellite and the instruments from the heat of the sun. So there's uh, something called carbon, carbon carbon developments that, you know, new materials are being developed. So I think that's really pushing the frontiers of technology. So it's incredible. Um, I think in terms of... Um, your fascination with the sun. I mean, I, I completely resonate with you when you talk about the the intrigue of the sun and kind of, you know, as a child, I would look up at the sun and just think it was so incredible and be um, fascinated by it. And I think I'm a sun worshipper, but not in that conventional sense of like trying to tan or anything. I'm just fascinated by the sun I just I love daylight hours um but it I didn't I didn't go into solar science like what was it that made you specifically feel like you wanted to study it more was there like a turning point that you remember uh, before I before I answer that question can I just um you know check something you just said because you should never look at the sun so I just don't want our listeners to think you should look at the sun because it's extremely dangerous because it's so bright that it can actually make you go blind so um we I always warn people don't look at the sun and also you've mentioned tanning and that's that's an interesting concept as well because the sun 
doesn't just give out uh, light in the visible. It also gives out light in, in, in other wavelengths, in the ultraviolet, UV light, for example, which uh, can um, be problematic for us for our skins, which is why we need to, you know, we now know, not I didn't know when I was young, so everybody was tanning themselves, but we now know that's harmful to us and that uh, we should we should protect it from it, you know, with sun cream and and, and sunglasses, mm. etc. So you you asked me if there was a turning point when I realised that the sun was fascinating. Well, I mean, I, I, as I say, I got drawn into it by doing a project. But then for my PhD, I, I got the opportunity to work um, with somebody who wanted me to work on eclipse data. And uh, uh, eclipse, uh, total eclipse of the sun is perhaps the most awesome natural experience uh, you can ever have. It's uh, incredibly moving. I, I didn't at that stage, uh, hadn't seen an eclipse. It took me very many years before I actually saw a total eclipse of the sun. Uh, but I did get drawn into working on this data. And I think it was the choice was really not just related uh, to the work and the sun, but it was related to the supervisor who... Um, I, I was interviewed by because I realised that he was somebody that I could work with and that would be a very good supervisor. And I, I judge a, a good supervisor as somebody who, when you come out of their office, you feel better than when you sure. went in, yeah. you know, because you always go in with trepidation and lots of stupid questions. Uh, but this person never, never made me feel stupid. He always listened to what I had to say. And yes, I say, when I came out from seeing him and when I talked to him, he always made me feel better afterwards than, than I did before and answered my questions, but answered them in just a straightforward mm. manner. And I think that's really important when you're young to have somebody supportive. And I recognised when I when I um, was looking for a supervisor that I could I could work with this person, that he was a kind person and that he would... Um, he very 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 eminent scientist, uh, but that he uh, had the sort of approach that um, would would nurture and 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 encourage me. And he did, you know, all my life practically. He um, he was always there for me if I had any difficulties. I would, you know, turn to him and have a bit of a moan, and he'd say, "Never mind. Let's 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 you know let's deal with that. Let's move on." So I think that that's really important to have those those sorts of people in your life. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's it's really fascinating that you bring that up because um, in all the episodes that I've recorded with female guests, um, it's been interesting to see common themes um, come up, which is that we as women do need encouragement, maybe not just as women, I mean, just as as people. Yeah, we need we need encouragement, we need support, we need nurturing, we need kindness, all the things that you just mentioned you got from that particular supervisor. Um, how important um, do you feel that is for girls and women thinking of entering into a career in STEM? Well, I think I, I, I think you said it's not just for uh, in, in relation to girls. I think that... Um, it's important when you when you're entering into a career or when you're embarking on a, a PhD, which is a three or four year project, that you have you know that you make sure that whoever it is you're working you know you're going to work with is somebody that you feel you can get on with because 
um, that uh, that the successful you, you will go through difficult times so you need people that are going to be on your side and supporting you and uh, working with you so I, I, I my experience is, is that's as important to to males as it is to females um, because uh, you know you you need you need nurturing and you need that support it's a difficult time and 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 uh, you will have times when you get very low and things don't look that great and and that's the time when you need somebody on your side and somebody saying oh it's going to be okay don't worry about it it's going to work out you know did you ever feel that in your earlier educational years because um often girls are very capable and competent in subjects like maths and physics but then they hit an age around about you know, 10 or 11, where they suddenly get very conscious, um, self-conscious about those subjects. And um, what the statistics are showing is that they tend to drop out or lose interest in those subjects. Yes, I I think that, um, I guess I was, as I say, relatively fortunate in that I I never really thought there was anything that odd. I mean, I knew I was one of the few girls that did maths or science, but I never really thought, you know, I never really thought it was particularly strange that I should do that. I mean, I was a little bit of an odd child anyway, I suppose, for various reasons, but um, it, it, it didn't worry me. I wasn't particularly good at history or languages. So, you know, for me, it was obvious to do the maths or the science and, uh, I I was a little bit I was a year younger than everybody else in my class and that that's kind of set me aside to begin with uh because I was younger I I um, got into the school a year earlier and I think that because I was already as I say slightly set aside doing doing maths and science didn't didn't make much difference but um I think that the perhaps the other girls thought I was odd and uh although I'm very friendly with them now I, I I think I did feel a little bit different in some ways but and uh, but later on when I was uh, 15 or 16 I went to I was at a girls school previously and I went to a mixed school a mixed grammar school in those days and I was just so happy there because the boys just seemed to accept me uh, for for who I was and, and you know let me join the crowd you know it it they didn't what they weren't worried that I was a year younger than them it, that difference didn't make any difference to them so I was extremely happy in a mixed environment which is strange because actually they say that girls do better if they're in a single sex environment but I wasn't happy I was always happy in the company of boys so and I think that was true at university as well I was always happy in the company of boys and and I was always happy in the company of men. It, it didn't worry me. They, they had similar, you know, interests in maths and science to the ones I had. And that was fine. And we had a, we had a bit of a laugh and a bit of a joke, you know. Yeah. Was... Do you think you felt more comfortable around um, men because you were a tomboy or? <laughs> I think I probably was a little bit of a tomboy when I was younger. I was a little bit small as well as being young. And I, I did like to climb trees and go on the farm. Yeah. So those <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't that keen on girly things. I never never wore makeup ever, you know, so I guess maybe I was a little bit of a tomboy in that regard. For me, as a female amongst, um, you know, in a very male-dominated environment, I almost felt um, more comfortable denying my femininity in order to survive 
in you know engineering it was it it mm. was a lot easier to push my femininity to one side um did you experience that no I'm afraid I didn't have that experience no I I think as I say I was a bit of a tomboy but that didn't mean to say that when I grew up I didn't uh, you know when I was when I was older no I I, I absolutely felt very feminine I, I never never attempted to not be feminine in the in the company of men and they you know as I say they we got on as as friends but you know I I I I think as a as a as an adult I was always I would regard myself as quite feminine I never um I never related to other people in the other way but you weren't the type to be wearing makeup and well I I I didn't wear makeup but I don't think that's necessarily a feminine characteristic I'm afraid yeah I like to think that I didn't actually need to wear makeup I know that's terrible to say but uh <laughs> I had nothing to cover up <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> but also I had an allergy so uh if I did wear if I did happen to put makeup on my eyes I swole up so right. it was a bit of a deterrent to wearing it yeah but I didn't feel I didn't feel the need to wear makeup but I did wear you know pretty clothes I made my own clothes I wore uh -huh. short skirts I was in the time of of um, mini skirts I wore short skirts I wore you know, or, or hippie type stuff. So, I mean, it wasn't that I wasn't dressing in a feminine way. The, the fact that I didn't wear makeup was just, as I say, indicative of the fact that my face would swell up like a balloon if I did. And anyway, I didn't see the need to do it. And yeah. I still find wearing makeup is is counterproductive because I think it doesn't, you know, it doesn't do people any good when they get older. You know, it, it, it doesn't let your skin breathe. And, mm. you know, I just I just don't like it. But, you know, it's my preference. Yeah, I think it's, it, it really is fascinating to me because, um, you know, as we grow up, we are exposed to so many different types of experiences and we are perceived in certain ways and it really does shape the adults we become. So coming from my own perspective, I, I think I just wanted to really fit in. And so it, it it sounds like you never really struggled with um, math and physics, so there was no problem there. I felt happy and fitting in in the in the school with the, with the boys when I went to the school with the boys. I didn't feel that comfortable with just the girls, but when I went to a mixed school, I felt very happy. I felt I fitted in. I felt this was I was happy. When I went to university, I was, although I was in a very, in a minority, there was only a few girls on the physics uh, course. Mm -hmm. I was very happy. I had a lot of friends. I had boyfriends. You know, I had a lot of, I was very happy. And then when I did my graduate work, I, I always felt wherever I was, I was at home and comfortable and happy in that environment. So I think it's sad if, if people don't feel they fit in, but I don't think that doing science is perhaps the reason why they don't fit in you yeah. know I felt I felt comfortable and happy in that environment mm. and I loved doing the science and you know I but I didn't feel that that was you know I didn't feel there was somewhere else that I should be belonging I belong right. there and it's the same in the solar physics community I'm very, being very very happy I have many friends males and females um, and they feel like my family, you know, I feel very happy and they've, they've been supportive to me over the years and, uh, you know, they're really good friends. So 
I think that it's sad if someone's in a situation where they don't feel they belong or they feel that other people feel they're different and they don't mm. belong. And it, it's unfortunate if people are not accepting of, of everybody, whoever they are, whatever they are, what, you know, whether they're male, female, or whether they're gay, or, you know, what nationality they are. It's it's a pity if, if uh, they're not accepted for who they are, because I think the most important thing is just to be who you are, you know, not to try and uh, adapt to some other model that other people think you should be. Yeah, and that is something you seem to have had from a very early age, because you did describe yourself as an odd child but that doesn't seem to have held you back. I, I, I was a little bit of an odd child and, and I was quite bright and I was quite young. So as I say, a little bit younger. And uh, But uh, that hasn't held me back. I think that sometimes um, children, if they have, I don't know, problems or if they, you know, they, they can turn to turn to learning, turn to books as something quite secure, you know. So I think that I found a security in, in the science and in the physics and in the maths and was good at it. And, and people tend to do, do the things that they're good at because then that makes them feel, that makes them feel good. <laughs> so I think that, uh, yes, I, I, was only, I mean, later on in life, it's been a little bit different because I've been in a more male-dominated society where, uh, let's say, quite a few people have perhaps been to public schools or, you know, and I, and I don't, I haven't felt quite as accepted in that society as I had previously. Uh, so, I, you know, there, I agree that there are um, places where you may not feel comfortable. Mm. But it can be just as difficult for senior, senior women can sometimes be just as unsupportive as, as men. And and I've, I found that very early on. I, I, um, I always knew that I wanted to have children, something that I always knew. I had younger sisters and I always knew I wanted to have children. And yet, you know, I was told when I was younger, I had to choose. I had to choose between having a family and having a career. That was what I was told. And of course, it was a little bit late because I was already pregnant. But you know, so I thought to myself, "I'm going to prove you wrong." Sorry. Um, and that was a woman that told me that it was a senior woman, a senior woman in a in a position. She had obviously made that choice herself. Um, and that's you know that she didn't tell me that specifically, but I think she gave an after dinner speech of which this was the yeah. theme. You know, to be a good academic, you've actually got to choose between having a family and having mm. children and um i think that the, there are a lot of compromises to be had in life and, and i think that um there is no doubt that having had a family i have made compromises in my career um and and uh, i think that uh, but nonetheless i have been very successful in what i've done and what i've chosen to do so and with a lot of support from those around me, I think it, you know, it can be done. But, um, but for someone, I mean, who tells a man they can't have children? You know, it's it's that 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 really, and that you know, that that really upset me. I think that really um, was it. A, I'll show you, kind of situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll prove you wrong, mate. You know, you you, you might have made that choice, and that's fine. And I and I I never. 
when I talk to younger women or I talk to, to, to girls, they, they often say, well, you know, have you got children? How did you cope? Um, and I think everybody has to find their own path. I don't think there is a standard path. And I think that's the difficulty. I think people have a standard path that they feel that academics should follow. And when they judge people, they judge them against the standard mm, path. Yeah. But I don't think that is always the case. So I think um, it's kind of almost a random walk. Um, and I think that people have different ways of, of doing things, different ways of coping. Some um, some some people, some of my younger students, female students, left left academia because they they wanted they they wanted to have family or they wanted to choose a different mm. career, you know. So and that's equally valid. Everybody, in my view, everybody is equally valid. You know, whatever choice you decide to make, that is a good choice. You know, it's it's your choice, and people have to find their own way. But nobody should be told you can't do that. You can't, you can't have children. You can't do this because that just, uh, in my mind, is is wrong. You know, you're saying that in order to be successful, you have to be like me, and and that's not the way it is. You know, there is no one. There is no one model. I, I'm beaming from ear to ear right now because I think I may have stumbled upon a guest who really has a strong sense of self knowing exactly what she wants and she just went for it um that's extremely rare to meet a woman with that kind of attitude because I think women are always so self-conscious and questioning themselves and is this okay and do you still like me if I do this and make this choice but it doesn't sound like you ever had that attitude um I I don't I mean I don't think I (laughs) I don't think when I was younger I ever said oh you know that's where I'm going to go regardless but I suppose I'm and uh, I think my my father wanted me to be a teacher you know he didn't want me to go and do a PhD and you know but I I think I I took that took a journey and I I I I I do remember thinking I well people never judged me I I was quite quiet when I was young, so they, they never realised quite how bright I was. That was, that was for example, when the A-level results came out, they were shocked and said, <laughs> oh, you know, you should have done this. And when the degree results came out, they were shocked and they said, oh, maybe you could do a PhD. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, <laughs> because I, I guess in those days, perhaps I didn't have the confidence mm. and, and therefore I didn't come across as particularly bright. I don't know what it was. Anyway, um, I remember... I. I had a boyfriend at the time and I said, well, I, I'm thinking about doing a PhD. And he kind of turned, he said to me, well, you do that. And, you know, I'm, I don't want you to do that. You know, you can't do that. You mustn't do that. You know, and I thought, well, sorry, that's it, mate. You know, because <laughs> if you're not prepared to accept who I am yeah. and what I want to do, you know, it's not going to work, is it? So I don't think, you know, in a relationship, you can tell somebody else you shouldn't be doing that because then you're, you know, then you might have more qualifications than I have or this or that or the other. It doesn't work like that. I was going to say, I think you have to, you have to choose your friends and your and your partners very well as well, you know, because, and like I said, I chose my supervisor carefully. I knew that this is the guy I could work with. I think it's the same with your with your partners or you know you think well this this person is going to let me grow is this person is not going to try and stifle me not trying to make me into something I'm not this person is going to let me grow into the person I want to be you know and we'll we'll try and find a way and if if I want to have children and they want to have children then we'll find a way to do it but I I don't think it's like 
I I went for something and I knew exactly what I was going to do and where I was going to end up. I don't think life's like mm. that because I think you you take opportunities and I think it was extremely difficult at times, extremely difficult. And uh, there were times when I was very, very low and uh, there were times when um, I had no funding and the future looked bleak and, you know, I... Um, and, and at those times, then you turn, you look around and you see other people who would support you. And I went to my head of department and um, he supported me. He, he sorted it out for me. He, he you know, we, we put together a package and um, he, he wanted me to do something which was, for me, technically quite difficult. Um, it was quite a lot of responsibility and a huge task. And... Um, I wasn't sure. And I said, Oh, I don't know. And he said, you can do this. You know, you can do this. I know you can do this. He had, he had belief in me. And then I I did it. And five years later, he turned to me and he said, I told you, you could do it, didn't I? You know, and I think that belief other people have in you is also important. So you need to, you need to look around you and look for those supportive people, those people who are going to support you for who you are and what you are and not try and make you into something different. That's the way I feel. I, I, and, I, and I think I've been very lucky at, at difficult times in my life that I've had strong support from the people around me. Also, not just in my department, but also on males, as well, mainly males, actually, some females, but mainly males, uh, but also in my um, community, my solar research community, uh, when I had difficult times, then people would listen. People would give me advice. People would say, "No, no, no, no you can't leave. No, you, we, we're not going to let you leave. You're going to carry on." You know, so I think that that uh, that support has been crucial to me. So I, I don't think I have gone, you know, dead for this path, mm, and it's yeah. it's gone straight. It hasn't gone straight, but I've had an idea of what I wanted to do and and where I wanted to go, and fortunately, I have managed to do it. Yeah. So I guess the lesson really is being able to discern who's in your corner and who's not yeah yeah because even if you don't have a strong idea of what it is you want to do you need to be able to discern who's a good influence and who's a bad influence in your life and seek help and don't be afraid to seek help from people and support people are more than happy to support you they you know but you need to seek them out. I, I um, did go on quite a few what you call development courses. There was something called Springboard, which is a, a women's development course. I think they have something called Navigator, which is for men as well. Uh, but that was quite crucial to me, actually, at, at a point in my life, because what you do there is you work through where your strengths and weaknesses are, where you see yourself in 10 years' time, what your support networks are. You work through quite a lot of those um, concepts and ideas about um, development and support. And although quite a few people regard these courses as waste of time or rubbish, actually, um, I found it very useful. I found it very useful to reflect on where I was, who I was, where I would like to go, you know, wouldn't necessarily get there, but where I would like to go if I got the opportunity and, you know, what my strengths and weaknesses were and what my, my uh, network supports were. Yeah, and that's actually quite a counterintuitive environment to be in for women in STEM in particular, because uh, typically women in STEM tend to be very self-sufficient and 
uh, almost in an isolated state of mind because we are we don't fit the norm. So we're used to kind of forging through on our own. Yes, I, I mean, uh, not that's not necessarily my experience. Again, uh, quite a few of my colleagues have it. I'm not saying we're needy all the time, but have at certain times needed support. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, we're the same as everybody else. And I don't think anybody's life, male or female, always goes smoothly. So that um, need to have a support network, I mean, to go out for lunch with somebody, have a chat, you know, just to have a cup of coffee and have a bit of a download. You know, the, your life life doesn't always go smoothly. And particularly if you've got young children as well, yeah. it can be quite stressful at times. Um, and I think that opportunity to have people who you can just feel relaxed with. And as I say, just say, let's go for a coffee or you, you fancy lunch today and have a little chat about things or meet up at conferences. I often meet up with my uh, female friends and my male friends at conferences, <laughs> but we go out for the, the pub for a drink and have a good old laugh and a good chat. And that, surely that, I mean, I, I, I don't get this concept of people. I suppose I've never got that concept of people being on their own. And that sounds a very lonely thing. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I've always, I suppose in my work, I've always worked in teams. So a team is very important to me. People people laugh because in my group, you know, the tea break and the coffee break and the lunch break are the most important thing. They're, but they might laugh. But actually, our whole department is designed by the head of department to be that way. He decided that the social areas were the most important areas in the department. And that's where people met. That's where people talked. That's where they interacted. Often they did science or mathematics or whatever there as well. Uh, but those interaction places were key to the department thriving. And I think that's a great insight into human nature. Mm. And I think that the concept of people sitting on their own is uh, being lonely in that way is not is not one I can associate with very easily. Right. Gosh, I mean, you're you're really switching on so many light bulbs for me. Um, and I think one of the major ones is your acceptance that life isn't linear. It's so profound. What do you mean by linear? Um, well, in the sense that, you know, you, you've had a kind of sense of where you want to go, but you've also been in acceptance that it won't necessarily be a straight road to get there. And that's, I think, um, a massive light bulb moment for me because um, it's one thing having a plan, which is great because I think, you know, you've got to have some idea of the direction you're heading in. But it's also really insightful to accept that you won't get there in a straightforward manner. It's quite often that things happen in our lives. We're not expecting them you fail in some way at something never failed before or somebody dies or a relationship breaks up things happen in our lives and it's traumatic and it seems like a disaster and what we were kind of taught was to turn that around and actually use it as an opportunity to think rethink the direction in which you're going so you're right I think that at, you know at certain times you thought okay this has happened, it might have been a disaster, or it might have felt like a disaster. But actually, what they're saying is later on, you will see that as an opportunity, because it that apparent disaster led to something else, led to a slightly different direction, it led mm. to something else, because people's lives 
don't always go smoothly, you know. And sometimes failing at something is is traumatic for people who are very bright uh, because they've always they've always succeeded yeah. all their lives. Failing at a relationship can mm. be traumatic, you know, if it breaks down. Um, but actually, you have to look at it, turn it around, because actually that makes you stronger. That makes you a stronger person in the long run. And it also makes you much yeah. more empathetic to other people that have been through a difficult situation, however severe that situation is. I think you can then be empathetic towards them. So uh, life does not go smoothly for most people. I have very few people that mm. I know that it has just gone smoothly for. So I think it's it's a question of how you deal with those challenges, how you pick yourself up, how you look around for support, how you deal with yeah. that. And what has been your personal experience with failure or relationship? Um, well, I guess, I mean, I, as I say, there was a point in my life when I didn't have any funding. That's a bit of a failure, even though, you know, I was told I was too old to, to have any more funding. You know, that, that felt like a bit of a failure. <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't trodden the standard path, you know. And um, I think that uh, that that was the point where I really needed support. There, there have been other times, more personal times, where... Um, I've been on my own and, and uh, I haven't liked, you know, for a relationship hasn't broken up, but, but somebody's been away for a long time or something's happened and I haven't coped very well with that. And again, the support of other people around me has been quite crucial to, to get through those difficult periods. Yeah. Um, you like trauma in anybody's life, I've had a close family member who's died, you know, and that's, that's a trauma. It's, I don't think it's a failure, yeah. it's a trauma. It's something that happens, but it's something you have to um, learn to cope with. And again, learn to cope with with support. You you can't cope with these things on your own, I don't think. I mean, perhaps people can, but I, in general, you can't. And, and there have been times in my life where I've even had to get professional help if I've been depressed or if things haven't worked out. I've needed to, to say this, I need help here, so I need to go and get it. Mm. I think... Um for some women in STEM we tend to think very logically and rationally and it's in my case sometimes I've um, been wishing that failures or disappointments or traumas don't happen and as I get older I'm realizing that they will happen and I have to accept that. And it's more like sort of praying for the strength and the endurance to be able to get through the inevitable. That's right. And also um, allowing, you, I think if, the, if they do happen, people around you need to know. I mean, there have been times when I've uh, again been to my heads of department, different ones, and said, at this moment in time, you know, I'm going through a bit of a crisis and I need a little, you know, a little bit more leniency in, in what I'm being assigned to do. And they've said, that's fine. You know, people yeah. will understand because people have been through different things and they will say, you know, this is a temporary thing, but, you know, we need to support this person and help this person. I've been, you know, I don't know whether I've just been very fortunate, but I have had very senior people who have been very understanding and maybe that is very fortunate. Um or maybe it was the assertiveness of 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 being able to ask for a bit of support 
when you needed it? I guess it's more than assertiveness. It's slightly being brave because nobody wants to feel vulnerable yeah. and nobody wants to show that vulnerability. But actually, I suppose... Um, I, it's funny. I, I I did I wrote an article once about um, the the problems of having a family and combining it with career and all the rest of it, and it was in quite a well known journal. And uh, somebody said to me, "Well, that's the end of your career now. You know, it's like finished. It's over." And I said, "Really? Uh, because nobody likes to show that vulnerability." Yeah. yeah. And I think that we have to perhaps not be afraid of showing vulnerability, um, you know, in the right circumstances, uh, because actually we do need support and help. Um, and um, yeah, that's that's difficult, I think. So it is being slightly not not assertive. It's more being brave and saying, OK, at the moment I need help. Who is the who can help me? Yeah, I mean, I have to say... <laughs> I, I've been feeling a bit uncomfortable kind of delving into the certain topics we've talked about on this podcast because I am very aware that you, are, you know, are part of a highly prestigious university and, you know, you're very accomplished um, as a solar scientist. And um, yet, and, and whilst I kind of want to talk more about those things because it's a safer subject you know, it's it's amazing to be able to draw on your wisdom on the more personal side and to 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 delve into more vulnerable subjects. Yeah, I think I I, I guess I went to um I went to a meeting, a diversity meeting down in London for one of the um, associations, one of the scientific associations, and and there there was um, it was very brave because younger PhD students and people were talking about their vulnerability in public, perhaps for the first time, and how they had dealt with mental health issues or other you know other things, disabilities or or their um, sexual orientation. Mm. It was very very brave of them to do that, I think, because people tend to keep these things covered over, yeah. and people can tend to try and cope with them all, and this can cause more problems because this can make you feel isolated or you know vulnerable. And I think it's that sense of actually realizing that we are all human, you know, and that. <laughs> We, we do our work, we do our science, that's fantastic, but actually we're all human. So there are certain vulnerabilities as well and we have to deal with those. Mm. So beautiful. Um, so on the subject of having it all, um, do you feel like you've accomplished everything you would hope for? I think that I've had a really good, a really good and enjoyable career life. I've loved what I'm working on passionate about the sun and solar science i've been very very lucky i've had good friends and i've got a wonderful family uh, but it's not been without its difficulties and you know there are scratches and marks and you know wounds and um i think that um i I think that it's, uh, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't have done anything any different at any time. Um, and I think that, um, you know, the idea of regret or the idea of changing things is, is doesn't make any sense. You know, you, you take a path you take, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. Um, and uh, that's the way it is. You know, you, you, you look 
to now and the future, you, there's no good. You can, I mean, I, I have been lucky that, as I say, I've been very happy in what I've done. So yes, in some ways I have had a career, but you know, I'm not perhaps quite as eminent, although you may feel I'm very eminent. I'm perhaps not quite as eminent as some of my peers. And, you know, had I had, for example, more mobility, I think one of the biggest challenges facing a couple is finding uh, positions, you know, whatever career they're in, finding those positions in the same location to start off with. Uh, my husband and I always decided that we would live in the same place. We wouldn't live hundreds of miles apart. And when you have a family, mm. that would be that's difficult to do anyway. Um, so that was a decision we made. We were going to be together. We were going to be together. Um, and of course, that's had knock-on effects that I haven't necessarily had the mobility to take up opportunities when they've arisen elsewhere. But I, I don't regret that. As I say, those were choices we made. Those were compromises we decided to make. Mm. Uh, but the, but I have to say, there is no doubt that in, in certain circumstances, there are compromises. And I you know, can't deny that. I can't just selfishly do whatever I want to, whenever I want to. That's not the choice I've made I shouldn't call it selfish because that's you know that's a choice people make that's you know that's their choice I shouldn't be shouldn't use critical words of them because I think that that's their choice uh, that's not the choice that I made so it seems as though to have it all or to appear to have it all which um, you appear to have um, compromises do have to be made yes I, I appear to I appear to have it all and I'm sure I've got a great deal and I'm a very lucky person because you know I have been able to pursue a career that I love and and have a family and have enjoy that um I have to say that I have worked part-time a lot of my career and again that is a bit of a first uh for the places I've worked in it wasn't necessarily standard Mm. and and uh, when it when for example I was put forward for promotion, they didn't quite know what to do about it, you know, because I'd worked part time. But that gain was a compromise that I decided to make. I wanted to spend time with my children when they were younger, and I decided that in order to yeah. do that, I wanted to work part time. But I think those things are much easier now, perhaps in some circumstances, but not in all circumstances. But my feeling was always that if the culture wasn't right, I needed to do something about changing it. Because what I wanted to prove was that even though I only work part time, I was still doing something very worthwhile in that part time. And I was achieving a great deal in that part time. So I think it's a um, then question of, of trying to change the culture, a culture which says you have to work not just full time, but 150 percent of the time. And if you're not working all weekend and every evening, you're not you're not um, obviously not a worthwhile academic so I think that that culture, that work ethic, that culture, um, you have to change. And it's and you can change it for the good of everybody because everybody has other activities that they might want to do. You know, not if males and females, mm. they've got um, other things and, and other responsibilities. Um, so I think that uh, what my feeling was, was uh, if, if, if I didn't like the way it was, I needed to do something about changing it. And that's what I tried to do. So what do you think that woman that you met at the conference would say about your choices now? Um, I think, she, I don't know, um, I doubt she's, still, I doubt she's still around, but if she were still around, um, I, I'm not sure she would 
understand my situation. You know, in days gone by, um, academics in universities would have been celibate. They would have dedicated themselves to their research, you know, and that would have been their life. Mm -hmm. And that is one life choice. That's not my life choice. And maybe, you know, in her circumstances, maybe that's what she did. Maybe she dedicated her life to her academic pursuits and could see no other way of doing it, no other way of compromising it. And some people are like that. So I'm not sure she would have, she would have been able to empathise or even understand the route that I took. But I think my, what I'm saying is that we should accept different routes for everybody, that everybody has different choices, different routes, different paths they may want to tread. We shouldn't have a standard route that is right. You know, this is what you have to do. That was what I objected to. I didn't object to her saying, you know, I've decided myself, you know, to dedicate myself to this aspect of my work and uh, therefore I've achieved, you know, the top in the field or whatever. Um, That's fine, but she, she can't tell me what to do. I don't to be honest, mm. I don't think many people can tell me what to do. <laughs> and that seems to be the most amazing uh, quality is just, you know, the confidence and the self-belief to just say, okay, you may have chosen a certain path, but I'm choosing something different and that's perfectly okay. Yeah, that, that that's exactly what I'm saying. And I, I would say that to all young people, you know, you choose the path that is best for you, the path that... Uh, is best for your skills for your talents and makes you not to say happy not everybody's happy all the time but satisfied the path that you feel is right for you take that path if you can uh it, it's not necessarily always possible to do that i have been fortunate i was fortunate um to be able to um take that path it's not it, it's not always possible but but um do things in a positive way whatever you do Mm. And is that the advice you give your own children? Yes, they um, they didn't uh, pursue science. I wanted them to pursue whatever they they wanted to pursue in their in their own lives, and um, they have um, yeah they they have I must say trodden their own paths. <laughs> Not surprisingly. <laughs> and how do you feel about that as their mother? I'm very proud of them. I'm very proud of uh, whatever they do, whatever they achieve. Um, And uh, they have achieved in different ways. Um, They have had to face some very difficult issues and have um, dealt with them and uh, moved forward and achieved them. And and that's what I was saying to you earlier about the fact that... um, things that don't work out that happen to you terrible things might happen to you but if you get through those things you are a stronger person and you can empathize uh with with other people and that's a very that's a fantastic that's what we need in this world we we need people who can be tolerant and who can empathize with each other uh, we don't need people to tell us you have to be this you have to do that this is the only way this is the right way you know that's that's not uh that's not what we need at the moment so i'm i'm very very proud of my of my children indeed i am yeah and um they've they've 
they've had advantages in 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 my career in the sense that they've traveled quite a lot with me when i've when i've been to overseas when i've been to conferences they've they've traveled with me and you know had a good time so they've been to see quite a few places so you know they've um they've had advantages as well and um yeah uh as as well as having to put up with you know parents who may be busy quite a lot of the time i think that's one of the things as as academics or in that world you tend to be quite busy so you tend to be a little bit preoccupied some of the time and mm. um but i've i as i say i've i've made the effort to try and engage with the children as best i can and, and of course i love them dearly well it sounds as though you know in your children have such a supportive and loving mother who um really wants what's best for them and that's come about as a result of really wanting what's best for you. I think we, um, what we give is what we receive in terms of our relationships with others. And um, it's just been utterly inspiring talking with you. Um, I feel as though you have a kind of wisdom that is so um, unconventional in the sense that, you know, there is so much freedom in the way you treat others and the way you treat yourself and acceptance and kind of kindness and so thank you so much for coming on the show it's been an absolute pleasure to learn from you <laughs> yeah you talked about me and my children and I'd like to say that you know my husband has been extremely supportive and I think that like I mentioned previously that a supportive partner is is essential you know it's, it's important and you know he's He's changed the nappies. He's looked after the children at a time and cooked the tea and, you know, done things that women would traditionally do, perhaps at a time many years ago when that, that wasn't the thing that men did. And he perhaps got a little bit of flack for not being very masculine because he was prepared to do those things. And I think it's it's well worth remembering, you know, that um, the men in our lives are important in the supporting the women who are who are in stem you know yeah absolutely what an amazing note to end on thank you so much for taking the time to be on this show thank you what an incredible guest i feel as though so many of the conventional ways of being have been turned on their head um with my guests kind of outlook and perspectives on life talk about brave i mean Today, I just have really heard bravery in a woman in STEM who is not afraid to forge her own path and defy convention. Um, I'm utterly inspired. Thank you so much for listening to Silence this week. Don't forget to subscribe and leave reviews and comments and catch you next week on Silence. Silence.